one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. The Chaser Report is recorded on Gadigal land. Striving for mediocrity in a world of excellence, this is The Chaser Report. Hello and welcome to The Chaser Report with Dom and Charles. Hello, Charles. Hello. And Tom Ballard is with us. He's got a show. It is I touring at the Sydney Comedy Festival, 11th and 12th of May, in Brisbane, 20th and 21st of May, and in Edinburgh, for those listening in Edinburgh, 30th of July (laughs) to the 13th of August. There might be one, who knows? Tom Ballard, hello. Welcome back. Oh, hi. I love the chaser. I'm <laughs> mad for the chaser. I love their take on Australian politics. <laughs> oh, oh, wow. We've got I'll a Scottish go guest from the early 2000s. <laughs> Wait a minute. Isn't it? Would that be racist? That's racist, isn't it? You're not allowed to do accents anymore. You'll be cancelled. Oh, it's racist. <laughs> Are you Scottish? I'm part Scottish, so You're I'm allowed, allowed to do, to do that, ones. I think. Aren't I? Is that the rule? No. No? Uh, is all ac- yeah, all accents are banned now? You did twenty three and me. Oh Jesus Christ! You can't say anything anymore. PC got mad. <laughs> it's just it's just it, so woke. I don't know. Can, can the I, wokeness is out of control. Can I ask what's it like doing Edinburgh? Is it is it like how big is your venue? Like because my understanding is you go over to Edinburgh and you flush from sell out at the town hall for the entire Melbourne Comedy Festival <laughs> and you arrive in as as an Australian. You get put in a 40-seater yes. and you go, oh, well, this is not going to pay the way or whatever. And then you realise, oh, the reason I'm in a 40-seater is because zero people want to come and you then end up pamphleting half the day and then you get like one granny comes along halfway through your run. <laughs> is, is that how it works? Or um, I think certainly at the worst end of it, that's a pretty good description, yeah. I've certainly, in my first couple of years, this will be my fifth, Edmure, I think, in my first couple of years over there, being recognised by Australians as I was flying for my show was deeply humiliating. <laughs> but it's kind of part of the deal, really. Yeah, no one gives a shit. And as, as an Australian particularly, no one cares about you at all. Adam Hills had to spend, I think, a decade actually working up the audience before he sort of broke through and the British people would allow this little uh, so-and-so from the colonies to break through and be a popular comedian in their country. It's just um, how big it's like Adelaide Fringe times tw- 20, yeah. How, how big your... Mine, I'll be in a 100-seater, yes. I'll yeah. be a 100-seater, oh, nice. which, yeah, for a fifth time. In, it's in the Monkey Barrel Comedy Club, so it's like a full-time comedy club throughout the year, and that's kind of the cool Ooh, yeah. place to be. But um, I'm highly – if I get 30 people at my open night – Is that why we're not doing the podcast in Edinburgh this year, Charles? <laughs> <laughs> that's right. And do you have to go to – like, do you do those? I've heard horror stories about sort of late night, sort of death match commit comedy things where you go and you you have to do five. Like minutes. a sort of open. Like yeah, a, it's like an open mic for mm. uh, for comedians where if you don't make them laugh within the th- first thirty seconds, you literally get lynched by drunken Edinburgh mobs. <laughs> 
Yes, the legendary place is the Bear Pit, which That's used to be it, yes. in the Gilded Balloon. Uh, legend was, yes, that you would be heckled as soon as you stepped onto stage. People would have glass bottles thrown at them. Mm. If you tried to tell any of your jokes, they hated that. That made them even angrier, apparently. The audience hated you <laughs> hated you in any way trying to, t- to do material. So, and there's a classic story. I think Ross Noble walked out on stage. He was emceeing. And before he'd even got the mic, got to the mic, someone yelled out, why are you so fat? <laughs> and when uh, Ross Noble arrived at the microphone, he turned to them and said, because every time I fuck your mother, she gives me a biscuit. <laughs> and apparently that was, uh, that was a brilliant response. The very Oscar Wildean response to uh, those kind of insults. That has all died away these days. I've been to Late and Live now, and it just seems like a pretty standard late night gig. And if people heckle, people go, shut up. We're trying to listen to comedy here. So, oh. again, wokeness strikes again. And uh, you can't oh, say it. Bloody oh, wokeness, yes. making, making venues bearable. <laughs> oh. oh, horrible. <laughs> So, Tom, look, I, I, I got to ask you because I know you did a comedy lecture, and and generally, mm-hmm. generally, the, the the notions of a, of comedy and of a lecture, mm. those are Venn diagrams that don't intersect mm. as a general rule. And yet, in, in your capable hands, I'm sure they did. What were you What were you uh, lecturing your audience about, <laughs> and uh, how did it go? Someone was saying, I think Sam Torden was saying to somebody else, he said, oh, "I'm going to see Ballard's lecture." And they said, oh, you mean just a conversation with Tom Ballard? But no, it was an official show uh, that I charged people money for. And I did it I did it in 2016. I did a show called Boundless Plains to Share. That was about Australia's refugee policy. Very funny stuff. This time around, I turned my eye to the voice referendum that's happening this year and sort of zooming out a little bit and looking at the big picture, the history of referenda in uh, Australia and how fucked up and insanely hard it is to change our constitution, why we suck at it so bad and why I think that's a, a pretty crappy thing. I'm going to yeah. guess that nobody's previously devoted an hour of the Melbourne Comedy Festival to uh, the high bar for referenda in uh, in Australian politics. Is that true? <laughs> no, Barry Humphreys <laughs> yeah, didn't there could do be a show reason on that, for that. I don't think. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't have the guts. Um, yes, no, it was it was a very niche area. Um, it allows me to have a PowerPoint, like all good lectures, so oh, I have fantastic. pictures and stuff. Yes, I thought about, for some reason, I thought about that would be a good idea for a show at some point. And then, you know, between me having that idea and us coming into this year, of course, the government announced that we're having a referendum. So if there was any, any time to do it, it, it's surely this one. And it was just... Um, it was interesting because I generally didn't know all those failed referenda that hadn't got up. I'd heard those numbers, but only said yes eight times out of 44. But I guess I'd never heard anyone talk about what would, what, how would Australia be different if those referenda had got up mm. and what, what exactly were people going to the polls for about that. And so I wanted to dive into that and found out some pretty interesting stuff, some very boring stuff as well, which I tried to... I don't, yeah, I don't know. I, I studied constitutional law and I, they didn't bother. Or if they did, I didn't remember. The failed referenda of the past. That's a lot of it's a lot of no's, isn't it? It reminds me of my dating life. <laughs> hey! hey. Oh, there shit, you go. That's, that's how you fill it I out. That, referendum content. <laughs> you can borrow that. <laughs> that's good stuff. Yeah, well, mainly in the first half of the 20th century, the story is of Labor governments asking for more power to try and, you know, make people's lives better, like have greater commonwealth power over parts of the economy so that they could construct something like an Australian New Deal. That's certainly what John Curtin was going for in 1944. Um, And again and again, Australia said, no, 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 no. And so we'd probably be a much more robust social democracy if a lot of them had got up. But of course, anyone could say uh, that's socialism and that's the worst thing in the whole world. And so we scared people into saying no. Plus, there was this very high bar to actually get the change through. And bingo, bango, 
we've got the uh, the holiday liberal democracy that we have today. So it's just worth noting, Very by funny. the way, as we get into this, that there is, there isn't such a thing as too politically nerdy for this podcast. It's mm. it's very okay, it's very much a chase. Yeah. This is not a generalist crowd, so people are, people are leaning into this. Yeah. Um, but so yeah, so socialist <laughs> utopia was on the ballot paper, and mm. Australia said, "Oh, that doesn't sound that doesn't sound like a good idea." <laughs> well, I, I guess it's like you know, how much can you say that Australia voted these things down when? In at least five circumstances, the popular vote won, but it was voted down by the double majority requirement. So, you know, for example, in 1977, the simultaneous elections referendum got a yes vote of 62% across the country, but only got yes in three states and therefore it got voted down. Doesn't what seem was very that democratic one? Simultaneous elections? Is that for, for both houses? Yeah, it, again, it's just such a fucking boring... That we've tried to do that like four different times just to try and get the send, the House of Reps and the half-Senate elections on the same day. The Constitution doesn't say they have to happen at the same time. We generally do. Convention has settled into a point where we've said, yeah, we should do them at the same time. Otherwise, they're very annoying. But uh, in the 50s and 60s particularly, the House of Reps elections and the Senate elections were at different times. Well, I think Whitlam, so Whitlam it, even did a, a not... Like, just spilled the... House of Reps and didn't do the Senate. Yeah, possibly even point. under Hawke there was a half-Senate election and nothing else. So, yeah, so 80, this, is, this is a bit of a problem. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. the other one, yeah. uh, I don't know whether you know, was there a, an income tax referendum in about 1914 or 15 which would have given the power of the federal government to raise income tax and then that got voted down but then the First World War happened and so they sort of did it anyway through legislation and mm. ignored the fact that it wasn't actually strictly written in the Constitution. Did you go into that in the Ooh. show? <laughs> uh, no. No, I didn't. It is I true. I don't know I, about that. What, what would this that is like, what yeah. The one thing I remember from my constitutional law yeah. class is, okay, maybe there is such a thing as too nerdy for a <laughs> podcast. But no, they, the reason why there's federal income tax and not states is because Oh, At one right. point, the, Fed, the feds just went, this is stupid, and ratcheted them right up to the point where the states had to cancel theirs, thus enabling the federal government to have specific purpose payments where they kind of do have tied grants and giving the feds more power uh, for those mm. who care about constitutional law. But, I mean, this, this is important because it does explain, as you say, Tom, why change is hard and progress is slow because there's a, there's a gerrymander by the small states. They get a, a veto disproportionate to their tiny-ass size. Yes, it's crazy. And, it, yeah, it goes back to that period of the 1890s where in order to get federation done, you know, the protection of the colonies' rights, the states' rights, yeah, convince all these ruling-class fucks like John Forrest um, from WA that if they were to get on board this whole federation idea, they'd have to maintain a huge amount of control and power. And so, yes, the smaller colonies, our states, get this massive veto power, way, which is way out of proportion to... Their the population, their democratic mm. control. And so I say in the show, for this voice referendum this year, 90% of Australian voters could vote yes. That is 100% of yes voters in Queensland, New South Wales and Victoria, 49% in uh, Tassie, SA and WA, 100% of voters in both in all the territories. And still, if 51% in WA, South Australia and Tassie vote no, that's representing less than 10% of the population, then the whole thing gets shut down. I love that you've done the maths And for the that. voice to parliament, there's, I know, it, for the voice to parliament, there's no argument that the states should, the smaller states would be affected in mm. any other way for everybody mm. else because it's elected it's just across the country. So, yeah, it's just, it's it's a reminder of the electoral well, college in the states. You know what pretty, we need to do, Tom, is we need to hold a referendum 
to <laughs> remove to the double majority. Yeah. To yeah. remove the double majority. Yeah. I'm sure that'll be easy to Which get through. Which they tried to do yeah. in 1974. Oh, really? Fucking effort. Yes. Oh, okay. Yes. Well, uh, yeah, I wonder why that didn't work. <laughs> oh, I've actually got a simpler solution, though, Tom. Which is, yes. mm-hmm. I think if we just abolished fran- the franchise for Queensland, and correct me if I'm wrong, oh, yes. pretty much every referendum proposal would have gotten up. Like, I, I think Queensland are the fuckers. They're always saying no. Or, d- always, or WA, yeah. I mean, WA traditionally, but I think with The Voice, uh, it's not. I mean, certainly with The Voice. If we get rid of Queensland, we're basically home and hosed. So I'm just so we need a, we need the High Court to <laughs> to just, reinterpret the yeah, Constitution you know. so that Queensland isn't part of Australia. Well, I mean, surely what you do is because I don't think it would even need to be constitutional. Like the state borders are not a constitutional thing. Like the state borders look very different at the beginning of federation. That's true. You could what just you redefine what Queensland is. You redefine Queensland as to be I don't know Fitzroy or something. And yep. Yep. Fitzroy gets all their 12 Senate seats. It gets their constitutional mm-hmm. vote. And, mm-hmm. and that then, would work. And, and then maybe, I don't see, the problem is New South Wales wouldn't want to take on the responsibility for all the sort of Queenslanders. Maybe we give it to... You give it to Canberra. Make Canberra Queensland. Or turn it into a territory. Yes, Yes, a, a protected, maybe a colony. Protect, right. <laughs> like it's a, they could be occupied by New South Wales. Yeah, yeah. Or why don't we just give Queensland to China, all right, and that'll yes. sort out our relationship there, right? That's yes. our peace offering. Yeah. We say, hey, you know, let's all just fi- yeah. finish up. We're, we're not, we're not really using it. That might be seen countries. as an act of war, though. <laughs> we can give you <laughs> Queensland. It's like, ah, they might not want it. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. We'd rather have Taiwan. We don't want this one. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. The Chaser Report. Less news, less often. Now, Tom, last time we spoke, we we discussed your book, I'm Millennial. There's a whole episode about that. It's uh, The amount of research that went into that was, frankly, formidable. Um... But you concluded with being a fan of democratic socialism and specifically mm-hmm. the Greens. And I must say, it's always awkward for me to be in favour of any political movement at all because mm. my, my whole history is of finding them all massively disappointing for different reasons. But mm. I want to know how, how that's going for you, you know, at this point, April into May 2023. Are, has the romance soured or are you, are you at the point where you may run at some point on the Senate ticket? <laughs> Why? What Those are these two options. The There's no middle ground. Going great, isn't it? No middle ground. Is it? Isn't everyone doing awesomely? Yes. Uh, look, it's been rough. She's been a rough couple of months. That's been certainly true. Um, and we've talked about this a fair bit on my other little podcast, Serious Danger. Uh, obviously, Lydia Thorpe leaving was a bummer, and I hope that she's okay. She seems to be having a rough. I don't time. think you're supposed I to. Say, I think right. you're not supposed to express concerns for her health. Uh, Albanese got in trouble 
for that, I think, didn't he? Oh, okay. Well, I think you can still just hope that people are okay. I think that's I fine. Think, I think that's nice. That's I think nice. That's nice. Yes. I'm not, yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Sorry, that was a little bit too dark. No, no. <laughs> no, no. I, I think you'll definitely be cancelled for hoping she's okay. I think. <laughs> like, oh, okay. Well, I think Albo right. said he hopes that she gets the help she needs, which is a bit more... A bit more barbed than what Tom said, so let's yeah. let's not worry yeah, about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it has been rough, hasn't it? Well, again, I was you know her yelling at a security guard out the front of a nightclub. That's like the most one of the most relatable things she's ever done. I want to see more senators out there on the streets giving them what for to the the bloody dogs in the security forces. I, I endorse that behaviour wholeheartedly. It is ast- astonishing that someone was found outside a strip club arguing with the bouncer and it wasn't Barnaby Joyce. I, I really <laughs> that could be a source of common ground. I mm, think between yes. a, Politicians from different parts of, you know, different mm. parties. But <laughs> we, we had uh, Max Chandler Mather on the podcast a couple of weeks ago talking about mm-hmm. the sort of success that the Queensland Greens have had. You know, they picked up three low house seats the last federal election. And it, he had this interesting strategy, which I don't think is going to work for anyone else, which is to go and listen to people. And so they, they managed to door knock 90,000 homes or something in the last week of their campaign because they had such a sort of mm-hmm. army of people. But his theory is that the Labor Party nowadays is trades in a lack of hope, like it peddles in actually dampening people's expectations about what government can achieve. And therefore, it's able yep. to deliver on a much easier raft of promises because you sort of don't promise anything. You then deliver on that mm. lack of anything to promise and you <laughs> government for life. And you can see that's really playing mm. out. Like it's clear they're going to give the stage three tax cuts to everyone because mm-hmm. they want to say, oh, no, I'm the type of person who gives tax cuts to rich people because that's what I promised. You know, so are you now a, a, mm-hmm. a Green supporter, Charles? Well, I am just saying, no, I've got a theory, right, which is, which I put to Max, I'm going to put to you, Tom, which is, so yep. now the Greens have sort of found themselves actually quite, I think, in a position of a lot more strength than they were, say, in 2009, right? So 2009, they faced sort of bad legislation from the Labor Party around climate change and the only thing that they could do was oppose it, right? And they pushed back and they opposed it. But that was sort of almost coming from a position of weakness. They didn't have the internal strength within the party to be able to go, well, let's just cut a deal and do something that's not as bad as the worst scenario, right? Whereas now... Adam Band and all those people are sort of, you know, safeguard mechanism. Instead of 116 gas mines being approved, you've got like half the, that number being approved thanks to the mm. Greens, which is sort of in a way coming from a political strength on the part of the Greens because they know that they can sell it into their thing. They're not going to lose votes in mitigating the worst of Labor's policies. Right? I put it to you that that is actually a worse outcome for the planet because all it will do is slow down the descent into a fiery hellscape. Like surely it's much better (laughs) to bring online a whole 116 gas wells so that we get to the end Mm. point where we're all dead quicker Mm. and all you're Mm. doing is making it more unbearable because it gets stretched out. (laughs) 
Well, you've got full accelerationist. This he's is really, awesome. He's yeah. really thought about this. This lighthearted satirical podcast has a full death drive. So if you're a frog in a boiling pot of water, yes. what you say is you turn up the heat. Turn it up. Turn it up. You want to get to it. Yeah, that's mm. true. So, that's really, no, so that's really good is Tom going to leave the greens? I'll take that to the party room. Does this make you want to leave the greens now that they're slowing it all down? Well, I guess if, I, if you really want to accelerate things, I guess I'd join the Liberal Party, yeah, or the Nationals <laughs> or something to really go full hell for leather. Look, I mean, we talked a lot about the the deal that was reached by this, the um, Greens on the safeguard mechanism. We had uh, Nick Fike for The Monthly on who wrote this great piece for The Monthly about how insane the carbon credit system is and how dodgy the whole situation is. Mm. And I, I think I'm still a little bit, you know, it's all still a little bit TBC as to whether that compromise was justified. I, I'm still very much of the belief that the Greens voting down, holding the red line on the principle that we shouldn't open any new fossil fuel projects is still a very reasonable position to take that is agreed to by most people in Australia. Mm. They just need to just not blink whenever they're constantly howled down by the insanity of Labor hacks and the Canberra Press Gallery, which overwhelmingly, it seems to me, seems to take the Labor line on almost everything and is very willing to dismiss the Greens as ridiculous hippies, even though their position is entirely in line with the international science. I, I guess I guess we'll see. And, and the, bizarrely, the Teals, like even the Liberal electorates agree with that, don't they? Yes. Yeah? Oh, no, the, the, it's yes. about 85% support in the Australian population for doing more about yep. climate change. So it literally is yep. just the political class that is, you know, yep. off on some other planet. Uh, well, actually, yep. unfortunately, they're still on our planet. But, okay, so can I pitch to you, and I've pitched this to a few people on this podcast... The way we solve this problem, right, the political class being complete and the billionaire class as well just being completely. tyres. And yes. that is what we do is we give them the new fancy Apple AR VR headsets, right? Mm-hmm. So hear me out, which yep. is you know how in every Netflix dystopian drama it's always the poor people who get given the headsets and made to work in the Matrix and, the, you know, and they get shown this brighter future, but actually they're not. They're actually in some hellscape, right? Mm. Instead, what we should do is just give it to the rich people and make them feel like, oh, you've got stage three tax cuts. Oh, you've got like tons of gas mines. And you could even put on a like a heat suit or something like that so everyone feels a little yes. bit hotter, like all the political classes. They can walk around. Tanya Plibersek can be walking around going, oh, it's very hot today, right? But... Meanwhile, the rest of us, the 85% of people who want more action on climate change, get on with, you know, shutting down all the fossil fuel, getting rid of all the problems in the world, not delivering the stage three tax cuts, but they just go off and live in their own alternate reality of a hellish firescape of doom and destruction. And the same way in the Matrix, human beings, their energy was being used to power the robots. Mm. We could, like, somehow turn the egos of all these insane political... (laughs) Hacks. Yes. And use that as a source of renewable energy, so we can get off fossil fuels. That would, that, wouldn't I that be a wonderful it. thing? Do, do you yes. think the greens? I mean, it is certainly increasingly looking as though the greens are, are mainstream. Something I never thought I'd say in terms of the actual positions of Australians. Hmm. Do you think they'll they'll actually become you know one of the biggest two parties at some point? Do you think they'll leave Labor behind? Because Labor seems to be managing expectations downwards. I mean, all the, the job seeker. Uh, the refusal to increase job seeker is is quite surprising for a party that was notionally left wing. Um, when Albo yeah. and opposition said it's not it's not enough, we've got to increase it. What is going to happen? Do you think, Tom? Are, are the Greens going to, you know, win a hundred percent of the votes in five years' time? Yes. 
<laughs> That's my prediction. Don't cut this up. I'll clip this. Um, look, I, uh, you know, the good. Whenever I feel particularly bleak, I still remind myself it's a good thing that what appears to be entering as the new political terrain is between the centre, represented by the Labor Party, and the left in the Greens. I mean, I do think the coalition is kind of seems pretty convi- con, um, committed to driving itself into irrelevancy and completely out of touch with people. So I think that's a good thing. So if the two major ideas or the two competing viewpoints in Australian politics emerges to be the Labor and uh, the Labor view of things and the Greens view of things, I think that's a good thing. It's certainly good news for progressive politics. So I just think we need to blow up this sense that is, you'll constantly be told by Labor people, which is like, it's us, guys. Like, it's either us or them. It's either us or the right. If you don't like, this is the only alternative when it comes to housing. Our housing plan is the only housing plan. Um, we have to go with the stage three tax. We've said we're committed to stage three tax cuts, so stop asking us about it because we're not going to discuss it any further. Uh, we simply cannot raise job seeker. It's just impossible. Just this sort of um, be all and end all uh, presentation. Whatever is Labor policy is the correct take. Uh, that is the limit of what is politically possible. Deal with it. I think the Greens are at its strongest when they're saying, that's bullshit, that's an absolute lie. <laughs> Look at you spending $368 billion on submarines. You're telling us you don't have any money for poor people, you fucking vampires? I yeah, think that's where the party's at its strongest, and that's where it speaks to people. Yeah. yeah. Sub- <laughs> well, it's... <laughs> but, uh, could, but, Tom, therefore, can I pitch to you my other idea for the group? You've got so many theories. And, we, and, we, no, and, which uh, is... And ideas, Charles. That I think, you know, Ada Calau in Spain, who... She she ran the houses. She was like the Max Chandler Mather of of Barcelona or Barcelona, right? And then, and then, and it was all about tenants' rights and housing rights and all that. So it was a housing movement, right? Like very similar to what's going on in Australia now with soaring and just terrible housing affordability. And she rode to national prominence in like they took over the Spanish government uh, for a while. But she very shrewdly, she didn't position herself as, oh, we're off to the left of the socialists and we're off to the far left of the nationalists. She said, oh, no, we're the centrists. And the socialists are actually uh, to the left of us. The nationalists are the right of us. We inhabit the political centre. Or, you know, she didn't even necessarily define her enemies. She just said, we're the centre. And I think increasingly... If you look at the Greens' policies, especially around things like housing affordability, around climate change, they are centrist. They're the thing that 85% of people want action oh on. Oh, my God. Are you saying that the Greens and the Teals should join up? They're almost the same colour. They're in the centre and <laughs> and everyone else is off to the side being fringe dwellers and you've got to inhabit the centre and then you become the people who can you can stare the Labor Party in the face and go, well, actually... It's got to be our way. Stop being extremist, Labor. Yeah, stop being extremist, Labor. It's it's our way or the highway. <laughs> yeah? Well, yeah, I mean, and this is the Richard Di Natale approach, certainly. He was trying to rebrand, I suppose, the party and sort of say, we represent mainstream Australia, we represent mainstream values. Um, that's a great way to kill an idea yeah, by saying that was a Natale yeah, I know, approach. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Okay, I mean, that's yeah, a terrible idea. <laughs> But it's interesting. I mean, we point. should be able to say left wing. We should, I mean, the, the real challenge is to say, is mainstream Australia left wing? You know what I mean? Like, is like why does left wing have to be some kind of alienating position to take, as opposed to saying, well, maybe actually as a country, maybe most people are left wing. That's probably when you arrive at any political ideology, your general belief is that most people are mm. either more progressive, more more conservative than 
than ev- the most other, most everybody else, right? Like like everyone's when you get to a point where your ideology is seen as common sense, then you're then you're kind of winning, you know. So that's a good way to yeah, be. Yeah, and, uh, and that is certainly rooted in in the way Greens go about doing policies. Most people think that we should tax the rich more to fund better services for everybody else. Most people think that the tax cuts for the rich are ridiculous. Most people want actual serious cl- action on climate change. Most people would prioritise housing everybody before. Um, you know the the rights and interests of landlords who own sixty three properties for fuck's sake. So, yeah, it, it is common sense. We're normal. Peter Dutton's weird. We're normal. Well, it, might, it does raise the question: if if the if the people without housing in their millions, if the people below the age of forty who, who don't have houses, just seized housing from boomers who have sixty houses, what could be done? I and mean, if 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 it was done in millions, there'd be no alternative, would there? I mean, you, police aren't going to go around <laughs> and kick them all out. If five million people just seize housing, but the problem Genius. is, it would be the housing that it'd be owned by the politicians. They're the people who own yeah. all the investment property. Yeah, I think the average. What is it? The average uh, uh, Albanese cabinet minister has two point three houses, something like that. You need, but them. apparently Albanese is a great them. landlord. You need so a spare house or two. I'm sure they're very <laughs> generous with their tenants. <laughs> yes. Oh God. Well, Tom, I, I admire that you continue to to try and fix this stuff. Um, rather than just looking despairingly into the abyss, which seems to be my approach to this. Um, I'm not doing anything. Your... I'm, profiting, I'm profiting off the problems facing the world and turning them into jokes and making <laughs> sweet money. So, Fantastic. But, yeah, I, I am a hero. You are. You are. You are. You, yeah. You're a small businessman, really. I don't know if you guys can relate to that at all. Can you relate to the idea of just profiteering uh, off the horrible news stories facing I, a, a I, I can for I can relate to doing that about 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, these days, not we're, so much. We're sort of breaking <laughs> even-y. <laughs> you're breaking oh. even on the oh, – oh, yeah, oh, staying afloat yeah. on, the, on the news. That's right. That's right. Uh, Tom's show, It Is I, as I mentioned, coming to Sydney, Brisbane, and indeed Edinburgh, if you you happen to be lucky enough to be there. Uh, I'm sure it will be excellent, as all your shows are. Also, Toowoomba and Cairns, if I can be rude. I'm doing a few little regional Queenslanders in the the state that is soon to be excised completely from Australia. Before that happens, come to our shows in Toowoomba and Cairns. Are you you doing the Tank Arts Centre? Is that where you're playing in in Cairns? No, I'm doing this great place called Laughing Hearts Comedy Club, uh, which is at Three Walls in Cairns. My boyfriend lives in Cairns, so I've been up in Cairns a lot, and there's a a really great comedy room in there Mm. that uh, they very kindly booked out for my show. We've just excised Queensland when that's the kind of great... Green hub of Australia now. How do, we might need to rethink the plan. Well, um, this was this was all part of my secret plan. <laughs> 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 all right, Tom. Thank you very much for being with us. All the best for the tour ahead, and Thanks, for your comrades. and for your uh, uh, you know upcoming job as the first Greens Prime Minister of Australia. <laughs> <laughs> Vote one, Ballard. Thanks. <laughs> hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.